Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. So what do we do with those scoundrels, the Houston Astros in 2021? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, November 19th. He is Scott White. I am Frank Stanfield. Scott was a massive Alex Bregman fan entering 2020. Scott, you going back to the well next season? Uh, Probably. Yeah, pro- I mean, you'll get him later now. No, 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 you don't have to take Alex Bregman in the first round. So particularly if he falls to like that 2-3 turn. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not down on Alex Bregman. I think he had it down two months, basically. That's it. Yeah, where he was also battling an injury. And before we get to our guest, because, of course, today is a Thursday, so we have a fantastic guest here on the podcast, I want to bring up the fact that I have called Scott Scotty, and I'm sure many people have called you Scotty throughout the course of your life, Scott. But Scott has never watched Eurotrip. So while I'm sure people have thrown Scotty doesn't know your way a ton in your life. <laughs> you think they have. Yes. <laughs> Scott yes, hasn't seen Eurotrip. I've had that sung to me more than once. Yes. We've got to change this. Come on, Scott. That, that is your weekend homework. <laughs> Actually, Scott's not here next week on the podcast. So, Scott, you have about 10, 12 days to watch Eurotrip. And that is the homework assignment that I, that I am giving you right now. I will put the kids to bed and watch it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a, not really a family-friendly movie. <laughs> Mentioned that we have a great guest here on the podcast today. And uh, if you've followed me in the past, then you probably know who I'm about to introduce. It is Jennifer Piacenti. Make sure you follow her on Twitter, at Jen Piacenti. That's P-I-A-C-E-N-T-I. She's a fantasy football and baseball analyst at Fantasy Alarm. Also the host of Waiver Wired with Jerry Ferrara. And she's a host on Sirius XM Fantasy. So, Jen, look, you're kind of a big deal. Let's just say for what it is, all right? Hardly. I'm hardly a big deal. I am very flattered to be invited here today. And I have to say, I think it's pretty funny that you started out with a story about Scotty doesn't know because I have to admit to you, I have also not seen Eurotrip. And <laughs> I was on a live stream with Howard Bender a few weeks ago, and I was talking about Scotty Miller, and he said something about Scotty doesn't know. And I just had a blank. And he said, wait, you haven't seen it. And I said, no, he made me go at that moment to YouTube, look <laughs> it up the clip. And you guys can probably find this on YouTube, the video of me making very shocked reactive faces when I saw what Scotty doesn't know is all about. So, um, I don't know. Maybe I have to. Maybe we're going to have to Zoom call this together, Scott, and watch Scotty doesn't know when you're a trip because I also am not cool and I haven't seen it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's uh, anything to do with being cool, Jen. I, I I'm not sure that I would classify myself as cool. Uh, it's one of those raunchy comedy movies that many people have seen. I I wouldn't call it a classic, but. It's pretty close, in my opinion. I was informed it was a cult classic and that right. I was uh, out of the loop. <laughs> well. It, certainly that song sticks out to people. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Uh, look, this is the first movie that I can brag about seeing that Scott hasn't, so I'm going to take advantage oh, of it while I, I see. while I can. He made fun of me for watching The Matrix 2 a couple of months back without seeing The Matrix 1. I've recently rectified that, uh, and now I need to watch The Matrix, Matrix 3, although most people tell me that I don't need to. Today on the show, you might not know this, but Jen is a huge Astros fan. It's why we led with the the scoundrels that they are, uh, but we'll take a closer look at what happened with what went wrong with the Astros hitters this past season. Whether we're buying in next year, I have a few questions about uh, Framber Valdez and 
of course, regarding Jordan Alvarez as well. Uh, I mean, to me, just one of the biggest wild cards in fantasy baseball in the in 2021. Uh, we also compete in a 15-team salary cap draft together. And for those who don't realize what a salary cap draft is, uh, that is the new lingo for an auction draft. So that this is a league-wide term. We are going into uh, salary cap league so uh, or a salary cap draft. So we compete in a 15-team Roto salary cap draft together. So we're going to pick Jen's brain a little bit about what she likes to do, some tips and tricks uh, in that format. And I have an interesting mailbag question if we can get to it. And some... Decent-sized breaking news, so let's get to that first and foremost. Don't you know? Robbie Cano. Mm. Speaking of uh, the Astros, I guess it's pretty relevant that Robinson Cano is a cheater. He has tested positive for PEDs for the second time in his career and has been suspended for the entire 2021 season. And the shallow second base position, Scott, became even shallower. Robinson Cano was a top 12 second baseman in both head-to-head points leagues and in Roto. He batted 316 with 10 homers and 896 OPS. Scott, we were trying to figure out where, where has this resurgence come from? Well, I, I guess now it makes sense regarding Robinson Cano. Uh, what are the trickle-down effects here for the New York Mets, if there are any? Well, I, I don't know that it's clear, first of all, because throughout the history of players getting busted for PEDs it's it's not like we've seen their performance you know suddenly change in a dramatic way when they come back from the suspension uh but yeah he did see a resurgence in in how hard he hit the ball last year and the production was up and seemed like he was on the right track after a season where things were going the other way uh it it right out frees things up for the Mets it's for if, if you're interested in anyone other than Robinson Cano, it's actually good news because now, regardless of whether or not the DH is back in the NL, there's a spot for Dominic Smith to play every day. There's a spot for J.D. Davis to play every day with Jeff McNeil taking over at second base every day. Yeah, it's possible the Mets go out and sign somebody like D.J. LeMahieu or, or trade for somebody else who's going to factor into that mix. Uh, but as things stand right now, it's pretty clear who all is starting where, which makes it easier to invest in those guys on draft day. Yes, and I, look, we'll see what happens uh, regarding the National League DH in 2021, and if there are more moves to follow now. Obviously, this is $24 million in salary that the Mets do not have to pay in the 2021 season. So uh, Mets fans, we're rejoicing today because uh, you know they have more money to spend and they could potentially trade for Francisco Lindor. Uh, one name that I was especially interested in once this went down, Jen, was Andres Jimenez, who we saw a little bit of in the, in the shortened season. He's got some speed. He had uh, eight steals in 49 games, 94th percentile in terms of sprint speed. So uh, whether he remains with the Mets, I think they can slot him in at second or shortstop or if he's part of a bigger deal for Francisco Lindor. I think Jimenez might kind of luck his way into everyday playing time in 2021, and I'm pretty interested. I hope he does. I'm pretty interested, too. And he's defensively really interesting, too. So I think people would have interest in Andres Jimenez. Like you said, there's just a lot of possibilities here for the Mets. McNeil moving back to second. Um, Dom Smith playing every day, as Scott said. I'm excited for this Mets team for what Cohen can do. You know, he's already said like, Hey, I'm bringing back old timers day. Like let's get some excitement. Cause if you actually go watch a game at city field, it's so much more exciting than chase stadium. And sorry, apologies, Yankees fans. I have been to more games at Yankee stadium than maybe than maybe any other stadium. City Field is such a fun place to watch a baseball game, and I would love if the Mets could become competitive again. I'm excited for them with the new ownership and the possibilities here. All right, well, that's going to end the podcast here today. Sorry, Jen, uh, you uh, <laughs> talked down about my Yankees. You're talking up uh, City Field. Uh, Says the man who came out swinging about the Astros. Okay. <laughs> I deserve Let's it. Go. I deserve it. I deserve that. <laughs> uh, I have been to, to both stadiums as well, and, and City Field is definitely a fun place to watch some games. And this pretty much all but guarantees Robinson Cano will not be a Hall of Famer now. Um, no. Probably wasn't going to be with the first PED suspension anyway. Uh, so we shall see what happens with the Mets offseason. The other big news that we saw came out on 
Tuesday evening was that Cody Bellinger underwent surgery to repair his dislocated shoulder from the postseason. He's expected to miss 10 weeks, which brings us right to the beginning of February. Uh, Bellinger went three for 22 in the World Series. Of course, we all remember, Scott probably more than anybody else, sorry, Scott, that Bellinger hit the home run in the NLCS, and he did the Bash Bro thing, and he threw his shoulder out, um, and then didn't really perform well in the World Series. So he's having surgery. Scott, does this matter at all for fantasy? Are you dropping him behind anybody? Are you worried about this potentially affecting his power output in 2021? Yeah, I I mean... Eight-week timetable, first of all. That gives him time to be ready for opening day, but that's presuming it's only eight weeks, and he's totally fine after that, totally back to 100%. It's a pretty big assumption. Doesn't always work out that way. And shoulder injuries, yeah. I mean, a lot of times we see the power compromised when they're when they're first back. So I have Cody Bellinger 13th overall out of the first round, just barely. Uh I'm not motivated to move him down based on this news, but there's there's a little little flag next to his name now, a little asterisk, a red cross, whatever whatever little icon you want to use there to remind you there's an extra concern there. Um, and I don't know when push comes to shove, maybe I'll shy away from him at 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 that spot, and and maybe he slides more to the middle of the second round. I don't know, but as things stand right now, it's another concern piled on to um you know the performance one we already saw this year yeah and we have the next three or four months to figure out what's gonna happen with bellinger and how he's going to look in spring training and you know whether or not that will affect his fantasy baseball draft stock i was already a little bit lower than him uh than everybody else i have him behind freddie freeman i have him behind bryce harper i'm tempted to now move him behind names like francisco lindor and manny machado that might be a little bit of an overreaction. So let's see what happens over the next three or four months when it comes to Cody Bellinger. All right, Jen, what happened with the Astros in 2020? The offense took a bit of a step back. We're used to seeing them as one of the best offenses in baseball, 14th in run scored, a team OPS of 720, which ranked 16th in Major League Baseball, and some really weird numbers. Correa really struggled against off-speed pitches. Bregman and Altuve struggling against breaking pitches as well. Then they all came alive in the postseason. Like, nothing ever happened. So, uh, you, as somebody who is as invested in the Houston Astros as anybody that I personally know, what did you see from the Houston Astros this past season? Was was it mental? Just in general, I, what, what happened with this team in 2020? So I think there's a lot of things in play here. And when we talk about anything in regards to the 2020 baseball season, everything is a little asterisk, right? I mean, even the Houston asterisks, as people like to call them. A seven-game losing streak in a 60-game season ended up being the mathematical equivalent of a 19-game losing streak in a 162-game season. So when we take these samples and we say, oh, they were terrible, I think we just have to keep that all in perspective. Now, We know this is right after this cheating scandal, what they were going through emotionally. You know, they have a new coach. They have new GM. Everything's different. The way they feel with each other, this is not exactly the same, you know, scenario. We know that there had to be emotional toll. There were no fans. We know there's no fans. We see them end up ending the season under 500, which no one expected. But then they got into more of a familiar click afterward. This is my theory. Hey, here we are in postseason. Hey, no, here we are. We have a shot. We're going to prove now that we aren't these cheating, horrible people that everybody said they were. And at the end, I had people telling me who actually disliked the Astros. You know what? I was almost rooting for them at the end because it was kind of like they said, no, we can overcome it and we can come together. So I think there's so many things we're going to have to put in here that we can't really know what's wrong. Um, For instance, when you talk about Alex Bregman, and we can talk about him more specifically, and you talk about the stats on this year, I don't know if you realized it, but Bregman has always had bizarre splits between the first half of his season and the second half of his season. In 2017, in the first 84 games, he batted 256. In the second half, he batted 315. 
In 2018, it was about the same, but in 2019, first half 265, second half 338. If you watch them, you see it and you feel that. You feel that Bregman's that kind of a player. Well, what was this 62-game season? Was it equivalent to a first half? Was it equivalent to the second half? Was it equivalent to just a slump? Because if I'm slumping for 30 games, that's not as big of a deal in a 162 game season. And, you know, I can go on and on about this and we can talk about, for instance, Jose Ramirez in 2018, over a 52 game streak, he hit 210 with seven home runs or nine stolen bases or over a different 52 game streak. He hit 302 with 18 home runs and seven stolen bases. So I just don't know how we're going to take this information and make anything really meaningful from it. No, and it's a great point that you bring up. And I heard people reference this, uh, you know, when we were entering the 2020 season and we were doing draft content and we were talking about, well, guys who get off to traditionally slow starts like Edwin Encarnacion, are we going to see them just have an entire bad 2020? Because essentially it's just a two-month season and, it, you know, it's a short span. So I think it's a really uh, good point that you bring up regarding Bregman. He has traditionally always been better in the second halves of seasons. And... He was unlucky. He dealt with a hamstring injury, which limited him. He, he still had a 25% line drive rate. His 254 batting average on balls in play was well below his 293 career BABIP. So it, it seems like there was some unluckiness, and he was dealing with an injury. Uh, so, Scott, I already asked you regarding the ADP right now, his early ADP, according to uh, the National Fantasy Baseball Championship. There are now 12 drafts done over at the NFBC. Uh, his ADP is 31.4, which means you can get him in the third round. We did our mock draft last week. He went pick 24 overall. Jen, it, it seems like you are getting um, either fairly or unfairly a pretty good discount on Bregman, who was right around a first-round pick last season. He's now slipping to the late second, sometimes early third round in these early drafts. Yeah, and for me, when I play fantasy baseball, it's it's always about value. And I'm happy to take that value if you guys think that he can't hit because he was cheating or he had a bad season and that's how he's going to perform. But when I look at Alex Bregman, I see two major things that say he is someone that I want on my team. One is his plate discipline. He's absolutely ridiculously good with plate discipline. His eye is fantastic. He ended up with the third best OBP on the team this season after Brantley and Springer, even with all those terrible numbers that we rattled off earlier. Um, also, he has multi-positional eligibility, and I cannot stress this enough to people who are beginning to play fantasy baseball. You want to be able to move your pieces around the diamond. That became even more and more important this year with COVID-19 when you had people out. If you could take someone at shortstop and move them into third base so you could squeeze someone else into the shortstop position, these kind of things, they really add to a player's value. And so for me, Alex Bregman is a really valuable player on so many levels. And this is a guy who's been in the AL MVP conversation multiple times. And because he had a few bad games this year, if he's going to fall, uh, yeah, I'm going to take him every time. Jen, I hate I, to be to be the bearer of bad news, and this might be what you were about to address, Scott, but uh, Bre Bregman will only have third base eligibility this upcoming season. He didn't play a single game at shortstop, but I think it's a good point for everybody to know because they might be wondering, well, what are the position eligibility rules uh, for CBS leagues in the 2021 season? And we are doing 10 games played at that position in 2020, whereas normally it's 20 games played over the course of a full season. So Bregman played all of his games at third base yeah. this past I, season. I, I, However, uh, he is someone who could easily get eligibility at shortstop. Yeah, if Correa gets hurt or... If, yeah, he definitely. Could. I, I wonder if Dusty Baker just isn't interested in playing him there. Mm -hmm. You know, did, since there was a, a change in management and then he went from playing shortstop a lot to playing it none, zero times... Uh, if, if that's just not something Baker's interested in doing. It's possible, it, but we also didn't see Carlos Correa come down with an injury like he right. usually does. He right. happened to have an injury-free season. So, uh, you know, Bregman is a shortstop. By That's how he, you know, play, grew up, and we converted him to third baseman. So for me, that possibility makes him have more value. Mm -hmm. 
because I do think that he will end up with the eligibility at both. And it is possible that Dusty Baker won't. We also thought Dusty Baker didn't like veteran, didn't like rookies, and he decided to use Kyle Tucker. So, you know, depending on, you know, how things happen, um, I, I do think that still gives Bregman a boost. You brought up Carlos Correa there, Jen, and just a weird season for him. We haven't really seen his production be uh, this low in a season that he was healthy. And for the most part, I assume he was healthy this past season. He hit just 264 with five home runs, 22 runs scored, and 25 RBI in 58 games. Postseason came, clicked. 17 for 47, 362 batting average, six home runs, 17 RBI. He is in the prime age of his career. He's entering his contract year. Scott, this is something that I have brought up multiple times, and I've even gone as far as to say that I think Correa can be 2021's version of... Corey Seager, that middle round shortstop that you get that can hit 280 plus, 25 to 30 home runs. He's in the middle of a really good lineup as well. Um, and his early ADP is great. And we spoke about him the other day, Scott. is just one of these bounce back hitters where if you go starting pitcher early, you can get him in that range. And it's, it's something that I'm going, going to be looking to do, Scott. Yeah, no, me too. Uh, in our our first mock draft for CBS, I got him. It was a 12 teamer. I got him in, what was it, round 10, I think? Late. It was late. And I don't really have any concerns performance wise for Correa. He relieved those with his postseason performance. Had, you know, pretty miserable regular season. Actually ended up hitting more home runs, six in the postseason, than he had five during the regular season. So, uh, if there was ever a year to combine postseason and regular season stats to get a more representative sample, I, I think this is the one. Uh, and Correa, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have necessarily been worried about him without that postseason, but it relieved a lot of those concerns. So the big question for Correa is just, will he stay healthy? Because Previous three years, he missed significant time. He missed over 40 games each of those years. Uh, and, and who knows, if this wasn't a 60-game season, maybe he would have this year too. Jen, regarding Correa, we're, we're dealing with small sample sizes for all the players in this 60-game right. season. So it seems um, it seems relevant to look at an even smaller sample size and use the postseason as mm -hmm. a reason to buy back in on him heading into uh, next year. Is that foolish? I, I feel like so much I mean, fantasy baseball is statistically driven at this point, but yeah. for some reason, look, the guy is 26 years old. He's playing for a contract next year. I can't help but just remember the names that when you're playing for a contract, somehow they just manage to stay healthy all of a sudden <laughs> and have these monster years. So, I mean, I am keeping that in mind when, when projecting Correa for next season. Yeah, for Correa, I mean, he basically needs to stay out of massage parlors um, and just <laughs> behave himself, and he should be fine. His postseason, as you mentioned, 362 batting average, 766 slugging, six home runs, 17 RBI, and he really became the team leader at that point, and, and really the team needed him to step up and do that. And I think shining on the big stage like that is also important when you're in a contract year. And so, yeah, I think that's going to fuel the fire. But I have to tell you, I do not trust Carlos Correa to stay healthy. I just, maybe it's because I'm a fan. He's always hurt. Do I think he'll try to? Yeah, I think he will, but I just, I have trouble. I think all of you guys should draft him. And if he goes really late, I will draft him for the value, but he's one that I, I tend to stay away from, even though I believe in the talent, I believe in the skill set. I just, I think he's great when he's healthy. He's amazing. I just don't like dealing with the amount of IR. Yeah, Jen. All right, all you guys take him, and, and you know when yeah. he gets hurt, I'll just uh, I'll just be in the background to uh, make a trade offer at to, that point to maybe. get my multi position eligibility <laughs> out of Alex Bregman at that That's point. Right. I can relate to it though, and and Scott knows very well. Entering this past season, uh, look, I'm a Yankee fan. See all the stuff behind me. It's no it's no surprise. But I I did I wanted nothing to do with Aaron Judge. I wanted nothing to do with Stanton because these guys just cannot stay healthy. So I definitely echo the same sentiments and I understand where you're coming from when it comes to Correa. We, we spoke about these small sample sizes, Jen, uh, regarding Correa. Same thing with Jose Altuve in the postseason. Something just clicked for this guy. And more so than any other player on the Astros, 
Altuve just looked lost this year. And you listen to the broadcast throughout the postseason. They talk about how he is a sensitive guy and, you know, he hears the criticism and that might have been in the back of his head throughout the course of this season. I don't think he's done yet. And I think he showed that in the postseason. And uh, even more so than these other names, Altuve is going late in early drafts. We're talking a a 107.1 ADP in the ninth round of early drafts. So I'm looking at a shallow position here, Jen, uh, with second base. And I still think Altuve can hit 280, 20 home runs, maybe steal you five bases. The, The lineup bounces back and he gets all those counting stats. I think that's very easily within his range of outcomes. I mean, I do too. I, I think there's only been one other than this season, which was terrible, obviously, 219, I believe he batted. I think there's only been one other season where he's batted under 300. And the guy is, is a great hitter. And, and to be honest, I don't know how he does it because to watch him bat is actually not enjoyable. He just freely swings at what seems like everything, but somehow he gets the ball in play. And he usually bats over 300 or, or, or more. Um, correct me if I'm wrong about that, that batting average, but I believe mm-hmm. it's been only one other season other than this one that he's been under 300. So of course he can return to it. Of course, he's not going to suddenly be batting below the Mendoza line next year. And as you said, it's a very shallow position. So if he's going in the ninth round, I don't see how you don't take him. I think the thing that people have issue with more than the the power and the batting average with pe- which people question I understand is the fact that he doesn't steal anymore and when he first came into the league it was so exciting because he also had the speed and a lot of times when we're doing our middle infielders that's where we want to get our stolen bases but I think if we can just let that go <laughs> then we'll see that actually Jose Altuve I mean that's got to be a value in round nine that you got to take it yeah, you were right. He hit 219. He hit 298 in 2019. Uh, but for one, two, three, four, five years, five seasons straight from 2014 to 2018, he was up over a 300 batting average. Scott, I've painted a rosy picture for all these Astros, seemingly for whatever reason. I'm buying back in on all these players. Uh, I'm like Jen. I, I like to find where the value is for for uh, for fantasy baseball seasons, and it feels like people are overreacting just a little bit too far for the Houston Astros hitters. But the plate discipline has started to slip a little bit for Altuve. Um, an 18% per, uh, strikeout rate was, his, was the highest of his career. So... I don't want to just say, like, there are no negatives. There is a chance that Altuve is on this Mm -hmm. downside of his career, and I think people should probably keep that in mind as well, Scott. Yes, I think so, too. Altuve is the one I worry about most because, you know, you can't count on the stolen base anymore, stolen bases anymore, as Jen was saying. Um, And because we've seen that strikeout rate, while still very good, it's gone up some. He's over 30 now, so it, it would make sense that we would see some decline from him, potentially. He had a monster postseason, too. Like I was saying for Correa, Altuve, uh, Altuve had a huge one himself. Five home runs during the regular season, then five more in the postseason when he hit, I think he, I think he hit about 375. 375. So, yeah, so, and in terms of how he impacts the ball during the regular season, that didn't really change, at least not on average, it, it was really just the strikeout rate where we saw anything different. And as I said, the strikeout rate was still good in a general sense. So, uh, yeah, I, if he was still going in the th- third round, third, fourth round, then that would probably be scary. But he's going nowhere near there. And uh, I see all upside at that point. Uh, I mean, particularly if you're talking about some a, a league that's 12 teams or shallower. Like, any misses you have in your lineup, like, yeah, you want your first, second, third round picks to pan out. But beyond that, any misses you have in your lineup, if you're active on the waiver wire, you can cobble something together, you know? So so go big with those mid-round hitters and, uh, and trust that they're going to bounce back. Yeah, and from- I think also if you watched Altuve play, you know, you mentioned earlier the mental aspect. There's no question that there's a mental aspect after this cheating scandal. You watch Altuve play, you'd see he was messing up fielding plays too. I mean, he was yeah. a terrible defender this year. He had there's the yips. something going on mentally for him. And it, I think it's more of a question of 
not so much the physical tools, but like the mental state that he's going to be in. And if he can overcome, you know, as you said, being a sensitive guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's pretty clear from their comments and the way they reacted that they were ticked off. They did not think they were treated fairly. They thought they were singled out and whether, whether or not, uh, you could say they should have shown more contrition or they're wrong to feel that way. Maybe regardless, that's the way they seem to have felt. And like, I got the sense they were pressing. I mean, that was not a sub 500 team and yet they finished with a sub 500 record only made it to the playoffs because eight teams made the playoffs. And then we saw them turn it on in the postseason. So it, it's, it's weird to evaluate them for a number of reasons uh, it's weird to evaluate everybody after a 60-game season, obviously, but especially them. And I think I think people are taking a little too much satisfaction and downgrading them in their rankings, quite honestly. All right, Jen, I was going to ask you about Kyle Tucker, but I do want to get to some other things. So just the last name I'll ask you about is Yordan Alvarez, who of course had uh, surgery on both of his knees and missed a large majority of the 2020 season. And just a very unique player. We haven't seen a guy that just comes up and he's basically a DH from the moment he joins the major leagues, but uh, can hit with the best of them. And just his ADP at this point, he's going uh, in that eighth, ninth round range and just a guy who can potentially pay off first or second round value. He's just the biggest wild card. What we like to do here on the podcast, Jen, is is the worryometer. So I wanted to get Mm -hmm. your opinion on... Alvarez worryometer one being I'm not worried about this guy this is an easy no-brainer yeah I'm all over Alvarez the knees are going to be perfectly fine uh, 10 is you cannot draft this guy at all no matter what trade him away in all your dynasty leagues got to get off of him I'm super scared where are you at one to ten worryometer you're on Alvarez three Ooh. All right. Like Pretty it. optimistic. Like Cautiously it. optimistic, Jay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a DH. Like, how much is it? How much are his needs? He's already posted the video. Guys, don't you know that if you want to know if an athlete's healthy, just go to their social media <laughs> accounts. And if they have a video of themselves, you know, bench pressing or running in a straight line or anything like that, obviously they're fine. But no, I mean, <laughs> he's... He's a kid. He's strong. He's, as you said, he's a DH. It's not like we're asking him to make a lot of superstar plays. He just has to stand up there and hit the ball. And he does that really, really well. So I'm just not concerned. And if you're getting him, you know, eighth or ninth round, that's where you take your home run shot. That's where you take the shot to win your league. You don't play conservative anymore in round eight or nine. If you, you can actually wait till eight or nine and get your Don Alvarez, like, how are you not taking? You have to be taking, not worried. The, the only hard thing about drafting Jordan Alvarez, because I I was as high on anybody on on him, just like I was with Bregman, I guess. Going into last year, I was taking Jordan Alvarez sometimes early second round or late second round uh, before the wow. knee stuff came up. But at least on CBS, I'm not sure if it's going to hold throughout the industry, but at least on CBS, there are so many potentially high-end DH-only players heading into next year. In addition to Nelson Cruz and Jordan Alvarez, you have Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton, J.D. Martinez, Jorge mm-hmm. Soler even. Um, you know, It's not early round, obviously, but Willie Calhoun's DH-only. Just more than we're used to seeing because the season wasn't long enough for those guys to, to fill in at, at actual positions. Um, and maybe it makes sense to draft two in the hope that they get the five games necessary to pick up eligibility in the outfield or whatever and in certain cases Alvarez obviously we know he won't do that but some of those others uh but the little bit of drafting I've done so far that's like when I miss out on what that's the reason why I miss miss out on Alvarez if I do and I don't like it that makes a lot of sense um I didn't even think about the fact that a lot of guys are going to be DH only eligible um next year yeah, I do think that they will try to give him um, opportunity. They've been saying that they wanted to. Obviously, we don't know. Things have changed. Dusty Baker's there, and he played literally one game last year, which he went yard, by the way. So he did. He, he did. performed really well in that <laughs> one game. It was game. awesome at the alternate site before that. Like His yeah. production was not limited by him yeah. playing with bad knees. Definitely not. So imagine once he has two bionic knees, he could be even more <laughs> incredible. So, yeah. I, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but that's interesting. I think their plan was to try to get him some time in left field. And certainly right now, all that they have Michael Brantley, who's okay as a fielder, but he's not like superior. So I could see them doing that. They might. Um, but again, it's all guesses. So hopefully he would be one of the ones that would get eligibility after a couple months. There is your uh, Houston Astros fix. Jen gives just a three on the Warriometer. She's all right, let's go. Let's buy back in on Euron Alvarez. And, and we spoke a lot about that with Ariel Cohen when he was on. Is The further you go into your draft, that the, the, the more you want to take risks. So that seems like round seven through nine, whatever the range is, um, a calculated risk for Yordan Alvarez. Just want to hit a break before we do that. I want to remind everyone, download the CBS Sports app. You could do so many different things with this. You could follow box scores from any sport. You could get breaking news sent right to your phone. You can even watch CBS Sports HQ. You can read Scott's fantasy baseball articles. Uh, it really is awesome. It's an all-encompassing article. The CBS Thanks Sports too. app. Thanks too. Yeah, Frank has I, articles on there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here for self promotion, Scott. I'm just here to promote <laughs> you, obviously. Um, but yeah, I use it on Sundays when I'm following along the NFL games and I want to see targets. They actually have uh, fantasy points on the CBS Sports app as well as part of their box score. So that's super awesome. And best of all, it's free. So download it today in the Google Play Store and on your iOS device. And next week, no Scott mentioned. Scott is out. He's going to be watching Euro Trip somewhere. We will. Have an Apple podcast with Jen, review <laughs> with Jen. Yes, via Zoom, which is basically all we've been doing in 2020 is having these Zoom reunions and Zoom watch parties. Um, but next week we will have a mailbag at some point. Um, Going to change up when we release the podcast as well. One will come out on Monday and one will come out on Wednesday because it is Thanksgiving week. So send in your Apple podcast review questions. It's Bubba and the Bat Flip week next week. If you guys don't know who they are... Um, they do the Bench with Bubba podcast together and just great fantasy baseball minds and players. So we'll have Bubba on Monday's podcast. We will have uh, Toby, Batflip Crazy, if you follow him on Twitter, on Wednesday's podcast. We will answer some of your questions. So leave a five-star Apple podcast rating and review. Drop your question there. If you have left a review in the past, you can actually update it with a new question or email us at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll... Jen's mind a little bit. I don't want to get all the secret sauce because we compete in the league together, but we will pick her mind a little bit regarding regarding salary cap drafts, formerly known as auction drafts, here Fantasy Baseball Today. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. In a salary cap draft, there are no excuses. You can completely construct your team however you want to. Whether you... Whether it's a head-to-head points league, whether it is a roto league, you can get all the pitchers you want. You can map out. I want this corner infielder. I want you know. I want a stacked outfield in roto. I want five fantastic outfielders. I want stars and scrub. I I want Trout and Fernando Tatis on my team. You can make that happen, uh, and that's why I personally think that these salary salary cap drafts, formerly known as auctions, are um, the best way to play because there are no restrictions. So. Jen, just a little all-encompassing. What is your process for planning? What is? Uh, do you have any specific strategies throughout the course? Are you are you someone who likes to jump bid when you see that number on seventeen or eighteen? Do you do you go to twenty to kind of throw people off a little bit? Do you throw players out at their projected value? Hmm. Let me throw my trout out at forty-five bucks and see if I could just sneak them by everybody. What are you thinking when it comes to these? 
Oh man, there's so many, I have so many thoughts. I could do like 17 hours just <laughs> on salary cap drafts. It's going to be hard for me not to say auction as well. Um, it is absolutely my favorite way to play. And I feel like once you play that way, you don't really want to go back to snake drafting. I, I mean, I always do both, but it's so much fun, but it's even different this year because this year was the first year I did online salary cap drafts in the past. It was always in person. So there was a different kind of strategy and, and it did involve looking around the room and seeing if anybody had to tell, does someone click their pen when they're in on someone, <laughs> does someone only bid on a player that they actually want, or do they sit quietly the rest of the time? And you can figure these things out and it's always good to know who you're playing with. So if I know Frank is a Yankees fan, I know that he might spend a little bit more on DJ LeMayhew, for instance, or Aroldis Chapman or whomever. So it's always good to know your room. As far as preparation, I like to decide how much I want to spend on offense versus defense. So batting and pitching, you know, do I want to spend, it's usually 35, 65 for me about, but everything is very fuzzy because once you get into the draft, you got to be flexible. You got to know, okay, you know, here are my auction values. One thing I like to decide is I'm willing to spend about this range of money for Mike Trout. Like I'm willing to spend up to $60 for Mike Trout, but maybe even I'll add a plus five to that. If it really goes that way, maybe I would even go 65, but then I'm going to remember I have to subtract over here. So I like to tier my players and have ideas of, you know, what tier of money they fall into and try to stay within the value. And every time I spend a little more, I think that's okay. I immediately make a list of other players that I think I can get later that are sleepers. I do a lot of arrows scratching out. I'm old school. I'm not on the computer. I don't have a spreadsheet. I have a piece of paper lines and arrows and I'm going really fast like this. It's really cool. You guys yeah, to they, see this in person. I, <laughs> And I've seen it in person. She, your arm's just a blur. Honestly, I, I, I'm too busy trying to rein in my partner that we that we usually. I mean, with Greg, so I can't. I don't even. We have a know. partner. Maybe for I just a, don't work well with others. But it's I just couldn't maybe, handle that. I do one one salary cap draft with a team, and it's extremely more difficult than just doing it yourself. It's very hard. It is, yeah. it is very, very tough hard. trying to figure out, do we go this extra dollar? And you have to think of it in the nick of time too. So don't have uh, time. it is, it is definitely interesting. Scott, I think one of the main points that Jen brought up when it comes to uh, salary cap drafts is tiering your players and knowing that as you are end, ending or coming to the end of a tier, that player Everyone else knows what the tiers are, right? So, look, we know that there are big three starting pitchers in 2021. It's DeGrom, it's Gary Cole, it's Shane Bieber. When you get to that third pitcher, everyone knows that that's the end of the tier. When he's the last one that's nominated, he's probably going to go for more money than those others just because people know that the tier is ending. So, do you use a, a, a similar approach? Do you use tiers more? Because I've noticed that I actually do use them more when it comes to these salary cap drafts. I I draft off tier no matter what the the format is. So in a salary cap draft, um, it it's certainly top of mind. It's it's one of it's one of, one of many considerations top of mind. I usually when I'm, it sounds like I have a process that's that's similar to uh, to Jen's where I um, you, you know I I don't go so much pitching versus hitting as I, I, I uh, lay out the whole lineup or you know, the, the group that I'm bidding on, basically, the whole lineup. And I start filling in blanks of the amount I want to spend at each position. And the amount I want to spend at each position is determined by the tiers. The narrower the tier, the more I'm willing to spend on it. It's, I, I want where I spend money, I want it to be the most impactful money. That's less a position by position calculation these days than it used to be. Now it's more, uh, where am I going to get my steals <laughs> and how much, how many high end pitchers do I want to buy? Cause I, I think those are the most, uh, irreplaceable assets in fantasy baseball right now. Um, but that's, uh, you, you know, I have an idea of how much each of those players should go for, and maybe I budget a few dollars more if I'm, 
super motivated to get it. So what what really becomes an issue is if the amount I budget uh, for the er, the players early, some of the first players in that tier, uh, if they end up blowing out the amount I want. Uh, then what do I do? Because probably the later ones are going to go for even more because the tier is dwindling, like you're saying, Frank. And so lately I've started to go into a, a salary cap draft with a plan A, a plan B, and sometimes even a plan C. And it's, you know, plan A is contingent on me getting Trey Turner or whatever. And if I can't get him as my number one steal source because he just goes for way too much, I move on to plan B which requires me to make sure he gets nominated early enough that I can pivot because that's an issue too. Like there's just so many, so many layers to salary cap drafts that uh, honestly you learn from your mistakes with them. That's, that's how I've done it. And that's how, that's how I've adjusted my plan over the years. Yeah. And I'm happy that I'm not crazy because when I am coming up with my, plan strategy for an uh, for a salary cap draft i basically map out every position of what i'm going to do beforehand i have mm-hmm. okay a plan a i'm going to spend 10 dollars combined on my catchers for two catchers i am going to uh, i know that going in i want one of Trey Turner or Adalberto Mondesi for steal so that i don't have to worry about that if i get Turner at 40 42 bucks Fine. If not, I pivot to Adalberto Mondesi for $30, whatever it might be. And I knew that that was actually my strategy last year. Jen, in the league that we play in together, it was get one of Turner or Mondesi. And after Turner went, uh, I found myself in a bidding war for Mondesi because I didn't have enough. I didn't have a plan C or a plan D. So uh-huh. wound up spending $35 on Adalberto Mondesi and it kind of paid off in the end, but for the most part. Steals are the hardest thing. I have to say the other thing that I've found, and I, I can go on auction, I'm sorry, on salary cap draft strategy for on and on and on. But one thing that I found is you also can't be afraid to spend money because a lot of times I think when you start, your first time you do one, you think, oh, I have all this money. And you sit around and you have the money because you're afraid. You're afraid to spend money. And then at the end, you have the hammer and it feels really good. You have the hammer. But then what really ends up happening is you end up paying too much for all these players at the end of the draft that you didn't really want. You don't end up with your team. So it's it's about feeling feeling your way through when it's okay to spend and when you need to hold on. And you shouldn't be too afraid to spend money because as you both mentioned, because of the tears, sometimes the thing to do is get that player right away because Mike Trout might go for 50. And then when you get to the bottom of that tier and say it's someone like, I don't know, Alex Bregman, this is not a great example, but Alex Bregman suddenly goes for more than Mike Trout because it's the bottom of a tier and people are realizing that they're running out. Um, Again, those were not great examples. I should have used steals, people that steal. Like Ronald Acuna, for example. Ronald Acuna and Mike Trout are in the same tier, I would say. And Trout goes for uh, 48 bucks. He's the first player nominated. Uh, Ronald Acuna is one of the last players in that tier. He might go for 55. He might go for $60 because people see him. People are panicking at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say you might even want to jump on the first player in that tier. If you know you want an elite starting pitcher, okay, DeGrom's the first player out there. Jump on it. And mm-hmm. especially if you've never played a salary cap draft before, Jen is 100% right. Spend your money. Don't be scared to do so. I remember the first one I ever did. This was, I don't know, five, six years ago. I waited and waited, and I wound up with, like, Jacoby Ellsbury for $31 and uh, Freddie Freeman at the time, which was good. But I wound up with a bunch of, like, these 25 to $30 guys. And like, I didn't really have a first round player. You don't need mm-hmm. to play that way, but I just didn't end up liking my team. So don't be that's, scared to spend money in these. That's especially drafts. true. The shallower your league is. If you're talking 12 teamer, certainly 10 teamer, the, the waiver wire is robust. I mean, your, your misses you can correct pretty easily. So what you want to spend your money on are the truly impactful guys which will probably go for a disproportionately high amount because it's a shallow league, but you want to be in on it. Those are the difference makers. And if you're, if you're a player worth your salt, you'll be able to uh, patch the holes around them as the season plays out. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think, you know, maybe a 15 teamer, it gets a little more difficult to do that because you can't rely on patching those holes as easily. And certainly if you're talking something like AL or NL, I mean, who even plays those anymore? <laughs> but if you're if something that deep, then uh, I'm, I'm much more about spreading out my money in those formats. But 
like a standard 12 team roto yeah i'm i'm with you guys all right let's wrap up with some mailbag here and scott you'll appreciate this one you have a new a new impersonation impression that people are aware of and fond of this one's oh, from really? aaron in kenosha scott's impersonation of see you later pups on your episode with nick pollock made 2020 worth going through See you later, pups. Yeah. <laughs> Bob from Puppy Dog Pals. I was just tweeting about Puppy Dog Pals earlier today. I saw it's, that. Scott, you never sent me a picture of your Halloween costume. Ah. Where you dressed right up identity. as one of these Puppy Dog Pal characters. We we are Facebook friends. You are on Facebook. You oh, can look you it, it up, up yourself, there? Frank. It's oh. on there. Oh, it's on there. All right, I have Scott. this enormous red bow tie. <laughs> like, really disproportionate. <laughs> but <laughs> that's fine. I'm dressed up like a cartoon character. What do you expect? All right, now just for that, I'm going to steal it off your Facebook and post it all over Twitter. This next one's from Tony. I'm listening to the podcast and the theme that Scott talks about in terms of whether pitchers will get a full workload in 2021. I completely understand that rationale, but in theory, there's going to be 162 games of nine-inning baseball. Someone has to pitch all those innings, right? Are they all disappearing to the ether of middle relief arms? My thought is that it may be more team-by-team specific, depending on depth. Like the workload risk of Walker Bueller makes more sense because of the great depth, the Dodgers rotation, and they can easily skip starts if they wanted to. I'm thinking that not every team will have that luxury. Is it fair to have the opinion that the workload concerns might be overstated for next season? And we spoke about this a little bit the other day, Scott. I asked you, should we just bet on talent when it comes to pitchers next season? And I think you do have to take it case by case. I think the three that we're probably most worried about or aware of, Bueller, Corbin Burns, Jesus Lazardo, all three of which I believe either have great depth on their team or have really great bullpens. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I think for those three cases in particular, we should have concerns. Yeah, it, it's it's a good point. It went unstated, but I, I I did factor it into my calculus, I guess, when putting together my rankings. Like the Dodgers, I mean, they do this. They do this crap anyway. They always have so many arms they can turn to. Uh, a team like the Phillies, maybe not. But you know, I'm not that worried about Aaron Nola anyway because he's handled such a big workload the past few years. Uh, but sure, yeah, no, that's a consideration. We've got to take another look at Aaron Nola. I was looking through somebody else, somebody else's rankings in the industry, and people are, are are much lower on Aaron Nola than we are, Scott. So we've got to get to the bottom of this and and, and figure this out. I, I love him. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine with Aaron Nola. <laughs> I, I know. They, they were heading into this year, too, I feel like. But even more now. I don't know. It's just those last three starts, they went poorly and kind of skewed his line. But it was still, what, a 260-something ERA? Yeah, he faded a little bit. Those three bad starts. So I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. Three pitch mix, awesome changeup. Come on. Let's not overthink it when it comes to Aranola. She is Jen Piacenti. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at Jen Piacenti. P I A C E N T I. She is with Fantasy Alarm and also the host of Waiver Wired and a host on Sirius XM Fantasy. Make sure you check out all of her work. Jen, thank you so much for joining us here on Fantasy Baseball today. Thanks for having me, guys. For Jen and Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.